This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome to the Sub-70 Podcast. At this point, a man who needs no introduction. He's been on, I don't know, four or five times. He did play some probably mediocre golf today, had a few cocktails, hit a happy hour, probably extended happy hour. He's back at the, the house in Arizona, and he's ready to do the podcast tonight. He is uh, a living legend in his own mind. He knows everybody, but no one really knows who he is yet. The one, the only, the great semi-pro, Mike Dominic. I, I'll tell you what, that happy hour did run a little bit long. Um, I had four drink tickets I had to use up before I came home. And, um, you know, you told me not to stop drinking, so I didn't. Well, no, but, that would be you know, I only, no fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want you sober one, on this thing. That, why would I do it, that? Well, in the 100%. I mean, the, you know, according to the great Eric Hansen, you can only break one law at a time. So if you drink, drive the speed limit. If you don't drink, you can drive over the speed limit. So only break one law at a time, kids. I mean, that's the that's a semi-pro way to go. Unless you're at Dismal River, then you drive the golf cart into a, you know, fence post and uh, and call it good, you know, and walk away with no scratches. No harm, no foul. I won't say who did that. But you, you and I are safe on that one, and we will leave the uh, guilty unnamed. Um, kamikaze yeah. shots, what were you doing? Like anything fun? Long Island I iced had, teas uh, down the hatch, no, party no, in college I, style. What are we doing here? I I kept it I kept it mellow. I stuck with the uh, uh, Huss Brewing, uh, Scottsdale Blonde. Families are originally from the Midwest, so I stuck with my Scottsdale Blondes. Um, got a few white cloths for some for some friends of mine that can't handle beer, apparently. And uh, yeah, met, I mean met met some good people, some good business contacts, you know, exchange some business cards, got to follow up on a few emails and I do the corporate stuff. But the the, the thing was, is, is I had the, the right out because I'm like, Hey, I got to go and be on a podcast. And then that was, that was more of the, that was when I more became a living legend. The other thing was is everyone's in their, their business attire and I'm in jeans. Hey dudes in a sub 70 hoodie. And people are like, dude, you just coming off the street. And I'm like, no, I mean, uh, you, you know, you got you to gotta rep the brand. Well, and I appreciate it. But also, too, you do live next door to Gabe. So if you go off the rails tonight, can we just text him now and have a reserve of a, of a multiple-time, you know, PGA Tour winner next door that we can just put him in there versus you in case it goes south? Can, can, I, can I text Gabe to ask him, are you ready as, like, backup plan B here? Uh, I, mean, I mean, you could. Unfortunately for Gabe – you know, he's out of town. So, oh, you know, shit. the whole thing with the whole thing with, um, you, we, you know, they, they, they redid the rules for the for the um, uh, gosh, uh, what do you what do you call it? the TPCs where he can't teach down there now, even as a as a former winner. Multiple tour from, winner. Multiple tour winner. They're, they're, isn't multiple that cra- tour winner. Yeah. Isn't that crazy that uh, what the let's all right, let's just put the golf pro hat back on you. No joking aside. It's Gabriel Yepstead's. Buddies with Mike, buddies with me, great guy. And I, let's just talk about that one. That's an interesting topic. Why in God's name, if these guys are PGA Tour members, former winners, there's that association, right? Why would they not let these guys practice and play out of the 
facilities, for lack of a better word, that these guys made a, you know, were a part of for, what did Gabe play the tour, 10, 12, 15 years? Yeah, I mean, at least. I mean, he would have won. You know, he won twice. He would have won, you know, I mean, in, in his mind, and I, I absolutely don't doubt it, he would have won at least four or five more tournaments, but he was trying to play through injury, which which ultimately ended up ending his career. And, uh, you know, now he's doing some champion stuff and, and whatever, but he ended up getting a, a very mild case of COVID, or as, as, as I call it, the flu. And he ended, and right now, I, I mean, he's battling with serious vertigo. So he's playing with, you know, those like Dramamine bands on his arms that you wear when you go deep sea, deep sea fishing in Cabo and you're half a bottle of Jack deep, you know, just trying to, to steady himself. And, and man, the guy can still play, but going back to the, the TPC thing, they, they, they basically camouflage it that golf is so popular and we have all this other stuff. We're just going to leave it for, you know, guys that are on the PGA tour at full corn ferry status uh, to go practice there. And it's at the discretion of, the head pro and, and and the tour on whether he can teach out there. And they got rid of that. And, and the thing that it doesn't hurt the PGA tour guys, it, it hurts more of the guys that have conditional corn fairy status. It hurts the Latin American guys and the Canadian guys, which is complete bullshit in my opinion, because you know, those guys are now trying to find places of practice that aren't your scrub munis, um, you know, and, and those are the guys that are really, really, I mean, even the corn fairy guys live paycheck to paycheck. But those guys are really digging at the heels of trying to get funding and money and travel, um, you know, and, and everything under the moon. And now they don't have a place to practice. And it's the main TPCs, like, you know, TPC Louisiana, TPC Scottsdale, uh, TPC Sawgrass, where a lot of guys live in Jacksonville, and they now can't go there and practice. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I think it's complete bullshit. Well, here's the part I don't understand. You've been out there a gazillion times, too. They have separate areas for the touring pros to practice anyway. It's roped off. It's roped off. You know, TPC has a uh, a west and an east end of the range. And and those, you know, a lot of people, like, like they'll go to the front and practice and do whatever if they, if they want to hit. But when you go to the back, I mean, you got an enormous pitching green. You got a private putting green. Enormous, enormous grass range. And those, And, and the best thing is, even though it's roped off, there's those stations set up for those guys to hit. They get, you know, two, three, four bags of Pro Vs, and they go back there and they hit, and they hit in a strip, and they take no grass. And it, it's it's a quarter full the entire time. Yeah, I don't, exactly. That's just it, right? Like TPC Deer Run, I mean, they got the section for, you know, the pros if they're out there. That's the closest one to us. There's not more than one or two guys out there practicing. I know, under you know, in, in Jacksonville where you're at or even, like, probably – uh, TPC Las Vegas, it could be busier, but as you well know, the size of that spot those guys have, you could have 50 guys out there practicing. It would make no difference. It's a weird it one. Man. I, I don't understand it. Plus, isn't it kind of cool? Okay, so here's my other flip side of this. If you're going to go pay the two or 300 bucks or whatever it is to play a TPC, how cool would it be to say, I was watching Gabe hit short shots two-time PGA Tour winner, working with some guys. I watched a little bit, said hello. You see some other guys out there grinding it out, working on stuff. Like, it's kind of fun to watch that stuff. You sort of get a vibe. You watch it a little bit. Like, isn't that good for the branding of the TPC golf courses 
to see the guys we've watched on TV or whatever it might be or professionals out there doing it. I, that's the part I don't understand either. I always thought they'd want the pros out there because of the image it projects. No, it's it's great. I mean, there are times like I went down to work with Gabe, and he's he's talking with you know Alex Chaka. He just got done working with um, you know Kevin Chapel a little bit. Uh, you know, like with his new Mizuno prototype irons that he had, which was cool. Uh, you got James Hahn out there uh, practicing, and it's like it, it's really cool for the um, you know, basically the civilians to see you know, those guys out there, and especially if they're, you know, they're out of town, you know, they're from small town Midwest or, you know, Wyoming or or Utah, and they come down, they're like, hey, we went on this golf trip, and dude, we were watching Gabe work with James Hahn on his chipping, and, and, you know, and and all that brand, hey, he was out there, it's it's like, you know, you love to see that stuff and see him go around, and you can watch, um, you know, you can really watch the way that they work, and you can take some stuff away from it, Like, 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 that makes great memories for guys exactly. on golf trips right right, right. It, 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 it's 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 really like you're watching gabe hit 40 yard flop shots over trees and spinning it back eight feet and and, and you're like man like that is really 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 cool stuff and i just i feel like they're 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 really taken away from it in, in, in a game that you and i have you and i have talked about you know pat perez talks about it, homa talks about it it's it, it's a game of blue bloods where you kind of you know you have the country club kids and the and the muni kids it's, it's like you almost feel like you're kind of harming the game a little more that way than actually growing the game and having some guys you know preach excitement about it the best the best you know marketing tool is word of mouth yeah, hands if, down yeah like i said if you went out there and even you know you saw some guys just striping on the canadian tour i mean you've played in some of those events those guys can play like that's different. That's a different way of hitting a golf ball than most amateurs. Like, I, if you're under the PGN Tour um, umbrella, I think you should have access to play at any of the courses they own. It's all. It's all. You're, you're on a PGA Tour. They own it all. I don't understand. I, I honestly am baffled on that one. No, it, it, exactly. And, and, and the thing that so I did I did Canadian Q School um, the first year that the PGA Tour bought it, it and it turned into the you know the McKenzie Tour, and we played. Tuckwick Canyon, a golf club, golf club of Morongo in Southern California. And there's 250 guys out there playing for, you know, 25 spots. And all those guys, I mean, there's former All-Americans out there. There's guys that were high-level players that maybe didn't get the recognition and, the um, you know, the sponsors exemptions when they got done being an amateur. And, and it's like, you know, there's, there's, there's really good players. It's a great tour to play on. I mean, there's a lot of guys on tour that went that route. You know, you got, uh, you know, like JJ Spawn, um, uh, gosh, who's, uh, Xander Shoffley. Like those guys went up there and played and, and, and they're awesome. And then you look at the guys in the Latin American and traveling in Canada is no joke. I mean, it's like $50 for a, you know, 30 pack of Budweiser. Uh, I mean, you know, like, 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 like there was one guy I play, Andre Metzger, you know, the guy used to soak his dip in, in, in whiskey. And, uh, I mean, and, and that'll, that'll get you turned up real quick. Should we give a but shout out goes, to Metzger? Cause he's won like 858 times on like the Dakotas tour. That dude's a stud. Dude, he's an absolute stud. Could not be a nicer guy. He used to call me Huggies when I first <laughs> started playing. Cause he was like 30 and I was 23. He's like, dude, you're just a kid. You know, and, and and his wife, his wife could really play Kim. She played at Texas Tech, and she was an absolute 
stick. But, you know, like he traveled to Kozuri, knew everybody, he knew the golf courses, and, and the guy's a great player. It's just one of those things, like, you see how good he is. He's had corn fairy status. Obviously, he hasn't really broken through anything, but you see this guy just running the train on these kids out on the Dakotas tour, and, like, this guy can't even make it. You know, but, but he's the one that's, like, got the sponsors, he's got everyone, needs a good place to practice, and now they're sitting there going, hey, you can't come out here and practice. I mean, I, I think it's flaming bullshit, uh, you know, in, in order to do so. Paparez is not going out to TPC. Homa's not really going out to TPC. I mean, those guys are, you know, Whisper Rock and, and Silverleaf and all that. It's, it's the guys that are trying to develop and grow their game and, and get a get a place to play. You know, it's just sucks. yeah. Well, it's a I, I'm baffled at that one. Um, and since we brought up Gabe, you know, in, in our little world, he's a, he's a legend, right? We're friends with him, we like him, but we also have another friend you got to play around the golf with, also a complete living legend, the West Texas Driving Range Pro, JJ Colleen. <laughs> How I can't imagine you two. Oh, man. I'll use the word Nimrods nicely playing golf together. Uh, it would be entertaining. You guys should have mic'd that one up. He uh, he's, he he's still got some game though, doesn't he? He can. I mean, you guys all do. You play professionally, yeah, but JJ, JJ JJ can golf the ball. I mean, he's he's a good player. Uh, John Peterson calls him. You know, he calls him the mouth breather, and and JJ a hundred percent is. But um, it was funny because I, I got a direct message from him on Twitter that said, you know, hey, are you going to be in Scottsdale on uh, Monday? And I was like, well, you know, yeah, like, you know, I'll, I'll be there. And I think it was Woody um, that set that whole thing up because last time I played with Woody, we were texting at like 10 a.m. And by 1030, he's like, he calls me and he just goes, hey, like, uh, can we play golf today? I said, well, if you can be here in 24 minutes, we can tee off. And Woody came out and ripped it and we just had a freaking awesome time. But, I mean, going back to, to JJ, I think, you know, Woody kind of set that up. And JJ calls me and he lands. You know, they, they, they flew on the PJ um out from Lubbock and he just goes, Hey man, like and this is just JJ. He's like, Hey, we got we, we, we got a car, we got wheels. So where do we go? So and they just I flew in like, like haphazardly and like, I don't know, we're just flying from Lubbock, get some warm weather and we'll figure it out when we land. No, that so so they, they flew in because um uh their buddy who is the founder of Sideline Provisions uh clothing company um basically invented uh not I mean came up with uh the guns up logo for Texas tech. Okay. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's an awesome dude. And, uh, and so they flew in because they had a meeting Monday morning with Devereaux clothing in order to get some ideas. And JJ goes, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're flying out. We're doing this. We got wheels. Uh, where do we need to go? And I just said, you know, where are you staying there? Santa, I don't know, the Ritz Carlton or whatever in Tempe. So I gave him like 10 bars and restaurants to go to. And I said, Hey, take it easy. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow at like noon. And they they roll in. I mean, they were they were on an absolute all night bender, uh, you know, drinking, doing you know, doing whatever, hitting hitting up the clubs, uh, doing what guys do on a guy's golf trip, and uh, you know, so so they roll up, and I just said, I said, hey, you know, like like what do you guys need? He goes, oh, we already checked in, we did this that. I said, no, like like what do you need? How much alcohol do you guys need in order to get through this in order to get through this day? And so we went, we loaded up, we took the entire row of Coors Lights and the entire row of banquet beers, screwball shots, all that stuff. And we just went out and absolutely pegged it. And, and, and JJ didn't play his best that day. I mean, you know, in his defense, he got stung by a scorpion on like the third or fourth hole with his wrist. 
And, you know, he was he was complaining about that. I'm like... How did he get stung by a scorpion on his wrist? It's it's really weird. It, it happens. The last time I saw it happen uh, on the golf course, we were, we were playing, um, as, as, as the Honorable JB says, the stuffiest club on the planet, the Estancia Club. And a guy had his bag in storage at our club, and they're just small little guys, and they tend to get in there. And he went to reach into his pockets, and he goes, oh, shit, like, you know, like, I, I got stung by something. You see a little scorpion, like, run, you know, running out and away. It, it was it was a light thing, like, in his forearm or whatever. But he literally, you know, got stung by a scorpion and played through it. Like, I don't know how he survived. You know, like, I, I thought we were going to have to call an aerovac on him by hole 16 when he was, like, six over. But, I mean, it, it, was, it was a gritty situation. But, I mean, the guys, you know, they deleted beers. They had a great time. We had a few drinks afterwards. Went to Chinese uh, across the street. And J.J. wanted me to fly back to Lubbock with him. And hang out and party, and he goes, "Dude, we'll fly you back at you know five thirty in the morning. You'll be home by seven. I'm going. To, Bad idea. Or off, like, well, maybe it's a good idea. Like I don't know. It. I mean, I may have that would been that. I mean, I, I could have probably been talked into that. I mean, um, I I was really thinking about it, but then at the same time, I would have been divorced before I was even married. That's a good point. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't in the prenup yet that that we basically had hashed out, uh, you know, you know, I should have put in the prenup, Hey, you can fly to Lubbock, Texas on PJs with JJ Colleen at, at 11 o'clock at night and party all night. And no, come you know what I, I should have put, this is what would have happened. They would have gave, you know, PD is now, um, you know, getting pilot training or whatever. <laughs> they would have put, uh, like a, like a little Cessna and PD would have flown you back the next day. Bro. That's probably what would have happened. Would you get on a plane oh, with, oh, with John Peterson in a single? Oh, so, you know what? I, I would get uh, on a plane with John Peterson before I got on a plane with JJ. I'll, I agree I'll, with I'll you on that, you that one. Yeah, a thousand percent. I'll tell you that. No, but but so so here's the thing. Like I've I've been at I've been at PD on on Twitter a little bit because so I was so I was in college. This is after my I think it was my sophomore year. I started I started playing golf in the golf team and. My dad was going to go through pilots training, and I'm going, there's no way my dad is going to fly a plane. There's absolutely no effing way I'm getting in the cockpit with that guy. And he goes, no, I'm thinking I can do this. You know, it's something I really want to do. I've always wanted to do it. Um, I can fly you to your to your summer tournament. Because, you know, growing up in Eureka, you know, it, it's a four-hour and 45-minute drive from Sacramento, five hours from the Bay Area. He's like, I can just fly you down to these things and you can go play. And I'm, I'm going – uh, you know, uh, Dad, listen, like, you haven't smoked pot since the 80s. And I, I'm thinking you're hired shit right now. <laughs> and so so he goes, so so I'm sitting there. I, I go up with him and an instructor and his instructor, who was a, a phenomenal, phenomenal pilot. And and he, you know, takes you through some stuff. And, I, you know, I get comfortable with the plane. And so we're flying we're flying to Sacramento. I'm playing the Sacramento um, City Championship at Hagen Oaks. And, and and we're flying in there. We land at the Air Force Base, and I'll tell you what, I, I, I've been over a lot of downhill five foot benders in order to save par, birdie, or, or whatever the hell it is in tournament. There is nothing more scary than flying with somebody that you care about the first time, and they're bringing this thing into a tarmac, you know, going you know ninety five miles an hour. I mean, I mean, it is, and, and that's for like a like a Cessna, you know, like ninety five to one fifteen, you know, miles an hour or whatever. But like you're coming down, you got a crosswind. And you're sitting in that passenger seat, and the wings are tipped to the right, and you're literally looking five feet off the pavement, you know, before you, before you land. It, it's it's yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm pretty sure I shit myself 
I don't know if I actually did, but I, I, I could have. I'll stick with Southwest. I mean, <laughs> Southwest seems way safer. Those things, the, the, quality. The worst one, I mean, we've had some close calls in our day. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I watched Petey's landing that he put on Twitter that Mampa recorded, and, and that was that was a, a damn good landing because you know the wind was coming out of the right, and he had to tip that wing down. But when you when you are literally, like, like you're coming down, I mean, one of the scariest things we had was Bend, Oregon. I mean, this is this is also, I mean, we went and landed, landed at Plumtree one year, down by napa and we and and so garmin and um i can't remember what the other navigation system is but but one of them uh, the towers update their frequencies maybe once out of every 10 years and and we were on the garmin and um and, and we're coming in and i'm just sitting there going man like we haven't heard any radio from all 12 planes that are circling this this runway and we're coming we're, we're coming down we're, we're, i mean we're, we're in our half mile final and this plane is taking off coming into us. And I'm just like, jerk my dad. I'm like, hey, I go, hey, we got to bail out. There's a fucking plane coming at us. And he goes, oh, shit. So so we, we landed. Then we, we figured out that they they, they changed us. So instead of coming in at runway 24, we're supposed to come in the other way at runway 13. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, like this is terrible. But like we're landing in Bend, Oregon. And Bend has a great, really long runway. And we're coming in. It's probably blowing and gussing to 30 miles an hour out there. And and we're coming in from the south. I think it's runway one four. We're coming from the south, and and my dad has got the wings tipped all the way. I mean, it looks like the wing is going to basically catch the asphalt. And and I'm like, I got the oh shit handle that doesn't even exist in a plane, like you know, hanging on to that thing. And and we he goes to level out the wings, and a gust of wind comes up and blows us about 15 feet in the air and tips the wings to the left. And I'm, I'm almost in my dad's lap going, holy shit, like I, like I need a beer. Like this is not good. So then he levels it back out, tips the wing, lands the plane, and, I, and I'm just like, my God. So we don't, want, we don't, want, J, we don't want J.J. doing this. We'll stick with Petey. No. Well, well, there is, well, 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 remember, I mean, it's, you know, 12 hours from, from bottle to throttle or, or something like that. Eight hours from bottle to throttle. So you have to be, you know, no drinks or whatever the night before, eight hours until you go. And uh, I, I don't know. JJ could probably do it, but I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I think that he would take his his flight training course through Top Gun or some, you know, bullshit like that, where where you know he's looking at you, going, you know, hey, Ice Man, how you doing? And you're like, nah, this is not good. Uh, nah, so- <laughs> Well, the other private jet uh, guy, we got to get to this one too, because this is one I was eventually going to get to. I don't even know how we started with Gabe and JJ, but here we are. Uh, the, the 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 big story in golf, Phil Mickelson. Um, God, I just put my application in for the Saudi League, just so you know. Yeah, so I'm, I'm assuming endorsements on that. Thirty million, you'd be bought out. You would you would take it and not complain. I'm assuming. I mean, I'm a I'm a good bunker player. There's plenty of sand out there. I think I, you know, I hit in every sand trap on the planet. So I, th- I think I would be okay. I wouldn't go full Sergio on it, you know, and, and just well. Let, let know, me know when that offer comes over. Up. I'm guessing it'd be somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or nine hundred dollars for the season is what you what you'd be paid. <laughs> uh, for and I don't think you're, you know, I don't know how many you got like eight or nine fans would probably watch. But if you got to I'd double digits, what, man, it'd be impressive. I'd, I'd come back. I would come back with a hell of a tan. And I can market the new sub seventy uh, bucket hat out there, or the wedges. You know, like you said, I, you would use your. You would have maybe most bunker attempts per eighteen holes round on tour that year in that league. I'm so yeah. I, well, I beat the shit out of my nine iron in the club championship. 
last week and hitting out of the rock. So I might need you to send me a new one of those, but, but you know, it, it, it's, it's what happens in tournaments. It's, I couldn't carry my rock club. It sucked, but all right, going, the Phil thing, the Phil to, thing, where did this, do you think it, cause now Perez is mad at him and Rory's mad at him and some guys are supporting him. Give me your synopsis for knowing some of these guys and probably what happened and how, how did we wind up here and how much of it, in your opinion, is Phil's fault? And how much of this was Phil trying to help his fellow players out of some stuff they have probably legitimate complaints about? And somehow it got essentially out of control. And, you know, next thing you know, KPMG is saying no moss. Will you give me That's your 1,000 feet synopsis of this whole 1,000 feet synopsis. I mean, you, you, you know me. I, I don't. I say the first thing that's on my mind. That's so why I have three friends. But I just sit there and I go, you know, Papara says that, you know, he's mad. Phil, Phil's made $900 million on tour or whatever. I think, I think Phil's delivery on the whole thing was wrong. Uh, you know, that's, you know, whatever, it was wrong. However, there, every time you have somebody that's a martyr, something good ends up coming out of it. Okay. So, so Phil, yeah, his delivery was off, but is there anything that he said that was not wrong? There's, uh, in my opinion, there's nothing that he said that was wrong. Okay. Do the Saudis decapitate you for being part of the LGBT plus minus Q community? Yes. Do they have a lot of screwed up laws with the way that they treat their women over there? Absolutely. And, 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 and yeah, he's, you know, he said they're brutal people. They are brutal people. I mean, watch the kingdom of heaven. It's a, it's a, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see how it goes, but, but there have been a lot of underlying issues with the PGA tour and how they pay and handle their guys. Yeah, I understand that they're wealthy, okay? They're in the top 400 players in the world. You show me the top 400 CEOs in the world and how much they make per year, There's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with what he said. So, so last night, I'm not going to say his name. I mean, we had him. We had him on the podcast, right? And he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything against it. We kept it very PG. But he, but, but he basically said, if you qualify for the Masters the week before, and you got to go there and and play. Guess what? You get your house, which you're going to be in for for the week for five to ten grand. You can't get into any restaurants. You got, you know, your people are flying in for the stuff. You got to put them up. There's no hotels available. You, you get your certain number of tickets. You got another 25 uh, people from your group that are coming. You got to go pay for those out of pocket. You probably have to hire a personal chef. You're into that weekend or that week, 30 to 50 grand. And if you miss the cut, you're 30, 50 grand in the hole. Like people don't come to Augusta to see Augusta. They come to Augusta to watch Louis Wusthazen, Adam Scott, uh, Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth. Like, those guys are the product, okay? Well, the golf course, they like, but I would argue they like them playing that golf course. I mean, you can't have one without the other and make it the Masters, right? Like, you have to have Augusta and you have to have those players that everyone wants to see. Totally agree, but... 
when you get out there and you're like, hey, this is Augusta, we're walking the grounds, it's awesome, it's this, that, nothing against Augusta is amazing. But if if you showed up to Augusta and it was a bunch of mini tour players playing, yes, it wouldn't I mean, have the same. That, there's that, no that, way it have the same effect. It, there's no way it would have the same effect. So so rewind to 2016 or 17 when the U.S. Open was at Aaron Hills and Brooks Kepka won his first major. Okay, Brant Snedeker. There's a lot of other deeper stuff to this. I mean, I basically just know sort of Brant Snedeker. And was trying to get guys to basically protest the tournament because the USGA just signed a huge TV contract with Fox. And there was no additional money in the purse. And not to mention, they're taking you to a place none of these pros have played. The nearest hotel is about 35 minutes away. So these guys are commuting from Milwaukee. In order to get, granted, it's the US Open. If I'm playing the US Open, I'm like, dude, I'll, I'll sleep in my car in the parking lot and shower there, eat there, you know, do whatever. Like, that's just me. But when you're looking at, like, you have those guys that are the product that people want to come out and watch because they have personal ties, they like them, they hate them, whatever. I mean, you, I mean, that's, that's a product. And I think the purse for the US Open, you know, you're, you're, you're paying, you're, you're playing for a, you know, $30 million purse. Well, the, the PJ tour is making half a billion dollars from that tournament. So how do you not have more money that goes to these guys? Not to mention even more money because the PJ tour subsidizes the corn Ferry tour, more money that can be thrown into those purses to keep those guys going. Yeah. I've always, I think, I've always right. said this. I think, and I don't know the exact number, but it should be something like, I know like to play the Corn Ferry Tour and to do it professionally well. It's about one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year. One, you know, one sixty, one seventy-five with a caddy, travel, decent meals. You know, I'm not talking five-star Michelin dining and stuff, but I mean like Applebee's, you know, bro. Yeah, Applebee's. yeah a, but literally, I mean, right? You're not you're not playing the tour for one hundred sixty-five grand a year. Uh, you know, living like a billionaire, right? You're not. That's just like making it work. No, I think you should get like ten no. grand if you miss the cut on the Corn Ferry Tour, and like twenty five or thirty grand on the PGA Tour. I don't, I don't understand how they make money off both of those tours. It's all one product. It's a feeder system in. So essentially, it's it's your talent coming up, and the TV contracts. Now there's PGA Tour Live for the Corn Ferry Tour. How how, how are those guys supposed to go spend four grand that week? lose the four grand, half those guys don't have the four grand to lose when you're making money off their ability to play. They're doing the programs are probably doing something at night. I, I don't understand it. And you're not going to get rich giving them 10 grand a week. It, you're just not. No. It may cost that much to play. You know, like I said, you're 160 into it before you start 170. It's it, right. It's, it's a slippery slope, right? So, so everyone on the tour, you know, Goes all the way down to real estate agents. Like you're, you're like, like you're an independent contractor, right? So the cool thing about being an independent contractor is like, yeah, you get to play the tour, but you also get to go and you get, you know, you get your own endorsements, you get your money, uh, you know, you get your clothing, you got your your club deal, which which for a lot of guys doesn't pay that much. I mean, there's bottom level tour guys where it's like, hey, yeah, we'll play Mizuno, but you know they're going to give you five grand a year to play Mizuno. 
You know, Mizuno notoriously doesn't, they, they make some of the best irons on the market other than sub 70 and they don't pay their players. So that's why you don't see a lot of Mizuno bags out there. And, and, and those guys, like, I mean, we, we heard it last night on our podcast where, okay, so you, you, you take them and you make them full employees of the PGA tour. They have the ability to unionize and do what they want to do. And then you take the number, the, who's your top player on the PGA tour right now, number one in the world, John Rahm. Okay. You say, Hey John, we're going to give you 10 million a year. You have, you know, there's, there's 30 to 40 events. You got to play 25 of them in these specific events. And that's it. That is your base salary. Whatever you make on top of that is considered your bonus. Um, but the thing is like, if you're a full employee of the PGA tour, are they going to be able, they have to put a clause in there that just says, Hey, you have your ability to go sign your own independent deal and say, I'm going to be with Adidas. I'm going to be with Travis Matthews. I'm going to be with Nike. I'm going to play Ping. I'm but, going to but play this is Tyler. the slippery slope Cal. because then if they're independent contractors, why do they need to get a release to go play in the European tour? Well, it, well, exactly. So, so that was that was Phil's deal where he's an independent contractor and he's going to play the you know the match at Moonlight Basin in yeah, Montana. Yeah. We got to pay. Way. Right, right. So here's the thing though, like like Phil's getting paid a bunch of money to show up, right? Let, let's say he's getting paid ten million to show up. Why does the PGA Tour? Why do you have to pay the PGA Tour a million dollars in order to use your TV rights when you're an independent contractor? I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's the one where it's I, bullshit. I, yeah, I mean, it's 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 baffling to me at some level, and I would also argue, you know, Tiger or Phil, realistically, from what NFL or NBA guys are making, they're like some of the most underpaid elite athletes in the world, relatively speaking. Right, you know what I'm getting at. Now their careers are a little bit longer, but they're talking Aaron Rodgers, and God bless him for getting it. He's making forty to forty-five million dollars next year, right? I mean, yeah. And like I'm saying, he's I only know won these, one Super Bowl. Yeah, what I'm saying though is that it's and it's it's because of the TV contracts and the media rights are so sports live sports is so in demand and the in the it's bigger than ever in the different platforms it's going on. I'm with you in the sense of I don't understand how those guys don't have some sort of a base salary plus or the prize money goes to seven million dollars for a win, right? Like because right. what they're paying, right. what they're what the PJ Tour is getting from all of these platforms has got I don't know what the number is, but I'm, it's got to be staggering how much money they're making. Staggering. It is, and, and the PJ. I mean, they have a great pension program. You know, like you've heard PD talk about it. I just. I just sit there and I go, I go, how come you cannot increase the purse in order to give the bottom level guys that are trying to make a living? Cause I mean, here's the thing. Um, I, I you know, I, I can't remember if it was Pat Perez or John Peterson or, or, or who said it, but like they had a, they had a buddy come out on tour. I, I think it was JJ actually I had a buddy came out on tour. He was really, really good. Got in the bright lights, shit the bed and he was out 120 grand traveling for the year and you're on, a tour that allows, you know, the top 250 players in the world to play on. But like you're in the top 250 in your industry out of how many? And, I mean, in any any other industry in the world, I mean, whether it comes to engineering, CEO, um, artist, whatever, I mean, you're making a shit ton of money. And, and these guys are basically out there traveling, playing, they're paying their caddies, you know, you miss the cut, you give your caddy a flat fee, well, you're still out 3500 bucks for the week, right? So it's just, 
it, something's got to change. And the thing is that, you know, the PGA Tour was founded before all these huge, huge, huge contracts were coming out with all the other sports. It was. And I, and I think with Phil, he said what had to be said. And other guys, Rory McIlroy, um, Pat Perez, I mean, they're saying stuff, even though he's down, did it. Something had to be said, and Phil said it. And, and I'm, me personally, I'm okay with that. Do you think there will be changes from this? Do you, and I know it's starting a little bit, but do you think five years down the line he might be vindicated a little bit of, yes, bad, bad delivery, but intentions turned out to be correct? Do you think five years now will be viewed kind of differently by the players? No, I, I think it will, and I, I think it'll, I think it'll probably happen in the next year or two because the Saudi League. I mean, Greg Norman. It's not the only time he's collapsed on a Sunday. We all know that. But I, 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 I deep down, I really think that the PJ Tour has to look at this and meet with the players and say, okay, listen, this was brought to light. We don't want you guys going to Saudi, Saudi Arabia. What can we do to make this better? And and if, if if all of that comes out from it, then Phil's going to come out of it looking like a hero, a martyr, Jesus Christ, whatever whatever you want to call him. He's going to end up looking like that because the Saudi tour, even though they didn't get it the first round, I don't think that they're done. I mean, I think they're going to sit there and say, hey, um, here's the money we're, we're, we're able to put out. Um, you can play majors. You can go travel to WGCs. You can do all sorts of because the PGA Tour, um, back when Norman was playing, I think it may have been Jay Monahan. I mean, he basically pitched the WGC idea to Jay Monahan. No, to and Jay Dean, just no, it was to Dean Beeman, I believe. Dean no, no, it was Beeman. Tim Fincham. Sorry, sorry, Fincham. Tim Fincham. Tim Fincham. Tim Fincham. Yeah. Yes. Jay, who the fuck is Jay Monahan? Um, so anyway, so he was. So they pitched. They pitched it to Tim Fincham, and Fincham basically said, "Oh yeah, we're not going to do that." And then all of a sudden. Three months later, you got the WGCs coming out. So he completely yeah. sold his idea. I understand why Greg Norman is pissed. Like, I would be pissed too. Like, that's like me telling you, I literally have the cure for cancer. And then you're saying, no, it's not going to work. And then you go develop by yourself and make millions of dollars off of it. Yeah. I mean, I mean he's, Norman's right? been fighting the PGA Tour since that whole thing. To, to, at some level, I mean, whatever, you know, taking whatever you feel about Greg Norman out of it. They did kind of take his idea of getting the best players at four or five events a year is what he wanted to do. And it's sort of like a super league. That's what the WGCs are. Or that's essentially mm-hmm. kind of what the European Tour did with the Rolex series. So they, yes, you're, I mean, I can see where he's, he's been fighting this battle for 25 years or whatever at this point. So he's probably not going to win. He has. I, 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 you know, my last thought on this, I, I think if the Saudi League, so this, this goes back to the MENA Tour, right? This is the Middle East North African Tour. And I got I got one of this when I was playing in like it was like 2014 or 15, where it's all oil money. I mean, you basically had a fifty dollar entry fee. You got to travel to Middle East, North Africa, and it's all oil money that you're playing for. The only thing was that they didn't have world ranking points. Right. So you go over there, you play for a huge person and stuff, but you, there's no way in order to graduate to the next level. So if if the Saudi Golf League, the SGL, can find a way somehow with the PGA Tour or the RNA. No, the Asian Tour is what they were trying to work with. Then you'd get the points. Well, well, yeah, then you get the points, i.e. Right. DJ Singh. So so if they could find a way to work with them 
and get world ranking points, but those guys would be qualified in order to play in majors, then I think that they would go. Because at the end of the day, like you're trying to feed your family. Like you talked to you talked to Danny Woodhead, right? And JB asked a great question to Danny one time and he goes, Danny, would you rather have played ten, eleven years in the NFL with what you did, or would you have rather played five years and won a Super Bowl? And he goes, Ten, eleven years, no doubt about it. Because you get the money in your contracts in order to feed your family. Like that is is what you're trying to do. Well, especially well, especially for those guys, it's always the second contract and the third contract. The the, the first one isn't that hot. You got to go earn. Yeah, it's the second and third ones, which you know he earned his way to do that. So, yeah, makes sense. No, no, totally, totally. But like, like again, just closing on that topic. I mean, I don't think what anything that Phil said was wrong. Unfortunately, like KPMG now sits there. I mean, they're they're a global company. And they go, well, you know, we don't stand by Phil's contract or, or comments because we got to protect our contracts that we have abroad and yada, 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 right? And, and, and Phil, I mean, you know, he's made enough money in his career. He doesn't need KPMG or anything like that in order to float his boat. But, you know, that's just what happens when you get into that corporate world. You can't say, you can't say anything that crosses state lines. And Phil was kind of saying stuff like that. And so, yeah, like, he lost all of his sponsors in this and that. But, I mean, is what he said was wrong? Is is what he said was not on a lot of people's mind, including probably three-quarters of the PGA Tour? No. So the fact that, like, Rory and those guys, and this is my opinion, Rory and those guys went out, and he, and, he, and here's the thing. What pissed me off about Rory's comment he goes, I don't want to kick a guy when he's down, but then he went and did it, and then he rubbed dirt in his eye. Like, like that was what my issue was with Rory's comment. Like, if Rory said, hey, I don't want to kick a guy when he's down, he would have said, I don't want to kick a guy when he's down. I'll, I'll touch on this at a later point. That's what I would have said. I don't know. To me, there's fraternity, and those guys are – it's usually a pretty tight fraternity. You know, you don't throw a fraternity brother under the bus. That would be my take on it. Right. No, it, it, exactly. You you wouldn't throw you wouldn't throw Blaze under the bus. No, if you no. wore blue one day. No, no. I, I mean, but I'm, you know, that's my personality. I got you know, my guys. I I those are my guys, friends in life and stuff. No, I would, you know, I would take a bullet for the guys and I'd go pick them up in the middle of Montana. So if there was ever a controversy, even if I disagreed with them, then I might not say anything, or I would just say, well, they're entitled to their opinion. I would not throw one of my frat brothers under the bus, publicly. No, I, I, I wouldn't either. And, and over the longevity of things, um, Phil Mickelson's done a lot more for golf. Than, I mean, in my in my opinion, Phil Mickelson's done a lot more for golf than Rory McIlroy. Oh, he's yeah, brought more. Pe- just, he's brought more people. He's yeah. more dynamic. People just. I mean, for Phil, it's either it's going to be great, it's going to be a disaster, but it's going to be interesting. So you're right. From from, uh, I mean, you got you got Mr. Palmer, you got Mr. Nicholas, Mr. Hogan. Then that, you know, Tiger and Phil from that next generation, um, you know, there's Norman and those guys and stuff in between it. But, you know, from the 90s on up, the two biggest guys that got the purses where they were at from where they started in the early 90s to where they're at is everyone should be thanking Tiger and Phil. I mean, Everybody. Yeah. I mean, Phil, I mean, Phil, Phil got started when he was at Arizona State hitting those flop shots over his shoulder on number, I think it was four. At ASU Carson, I mean, 
four or five or whatever that whatever that hole was before they blew it up. Thank God. But those two guys have brought a lot of money from corporate America and and golf fans and TV coverage. They just have right. And Phil's a little bit of you know you, you know it's always going to be interesting, right? He might win, he might blow up, he might see something crazy, he might do something crazy, but people watch it. But people watch it, and people want to see people want to see flop shots. They want to see going for it. They want to see. I mean, him hitting it off the wires at Pebble Beach in the U.S. Open that one year because he thought he could get more spin on the ball. That's just the way that the guy thinks, and, you know. And, and, and you know, then obviously he had a different regiment than than Tiger did. But if you were going to say, hey, hey, who's been the biggest golf influence in the last 25 years it's Tiger and over Phil. anybody, it would be Tiger and Phil. Yeah, it's not even close. I mean, Rory, I mean, yeah, and, and here's the thing. Rory is a phenomenal player. He's a phenomenal guy. He's very politically correct with what he answers. But I really, I know Rory's won four majors. I, I really think, I really think Rory I think almost like to this point, the game has caught up with him a little bit because the guy hits it so good. And then everybody was ragging on his putting. Well, here's the thing, dude. When he hits 16 greens around and your prox is within 20 feet, guess what? You're, you have more opportunities to make birdies and you're going to miss more putts. Right. It's a, it's a camouflage fact. And, and, and Rory, yeah, he blew onto the scene. I mean, he's a great player. He's a great dude, kind of. But it's it's like, you know, you look at Tiger and Phil and what they've done. I mean, they basically took the reins from Palmer and Hogan and Faldo and all these guys. Yeah, and they Norman just made Seve the game from, exciting. From that Norman generation, Seve. right? Yeah, I mean, Tiger yeah. was kind of the next Greg Norman of who would – well, they both were, Tiger and Phil, right? They'd go after it. They had a persona, kind of live larger than life. Like, Norman kind of passed that aggressive play, working out, at least on the Tiger side, but Phil playing kind of like Norman, where they would kind of play very aggressive, right? Like, they handed that mantle to those two guys, and they ran with it. Um, yeah, those guys should all be yeah. making Tiger and Phil. Hey, uh, before we get out of here, so otherwise we're going to talk for like three hours, which is easy to do. Uh, I, doing, I love that about you. You and JB are doing a podcast. So what inspired you guys to do it besides the Sub-70 podcast, uh, which I'm assuming is a massive influence in your life, and uh, and you're welcome for that. And then, uh, you know, like, how do you see, or first off, where can people find the podcast? You know, all that good stuff. And then how are you guys trying to, I don't know, make it a little bit different, make it interesting? What's sort of your, your game plan for this thing? So, so basically like, like I, I mean, I kind of got the idea from doing the podcast with you because it was, it was so enjoyable. I'm like, you know, you can come out here, you can kind of well until this episode. speak your mind until this episode. Right. Yeah. Like I got, a, I got a lot of contracts out there, so I have to keep <laughs> it like really on the down low. Like I can't tell you all the adventures of Scott and Gang and violent J armor down in Scottsdale, but uh, you know, like, like, it was one of those things like I started doing it with you and I looked at Melissa and I just go, man, I really like, that was a lot of fun. Just being able to go out there and talk and ask questions and, and do whatever. Because like, like me, when I was playing, people always asked you and they go, Hey, like if you weren't playing golf, what would you be doing? And you always get those questions. Right. And it's like, you're, it's almost like you're getting interviewed. And I, and, and JB, I mean, he's been in radio for, 
God, how old is he now? I mean, he's older than shit. He's old. But he's, it, he's like it, my it, age. He's old. older. Dude's old. God, he's old. He plays even older. He plays terrible. But it's it's one of those things where I'm like, I've never had, I've never been around JB and had a bad time. No, that's impossible. Like I've, it's impossible to have a bad time around JB. And he loves, and, and, and he, he would meet people and he would just ask them like little questions, right? Like, Hey, so it's like the same thing you ask in business, right? Like if you want to ask people what they do, you're going to get a resume. If you ask them how they started and how they got their inspiration, then you're going to get a story and stuff then becomes really interesting with what people want to hear. <laughs> Excuse me. So JB and I, I mean, we, we were kind of messing around with it. And I just, I finally looked at, I think we we're up at Baywood in California. And I just said, Hey, we should start a podcast. Cause I say the first thing that comes to my mind and JB just has that kind of radio deal. And we just mess around with it a little bit and we kind of got started and, and then all of a sudden he's like, Hey, you need to dig into your network and get some people on. So we had, I mean, we had Woody and Sloth, which was freaking awesome. I mean, like interviewing those guys was, was so fun out of nowhere podcast. Those uh, talking football cause JB played football was, was, was awesome. And then I got Eric Hansen on and Eric, you know, he pitched, I think 14 years in the MLB. He was an all-star played with Clemens. Conseco, Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, he got Bo Jackson stories. I don't know if you listen to it, but his Bo Jackson stories are all untold. Bo Jackson stories where people are like, it's like, here's the thing: you think your kid can make it to the big leagues? Listen to these stories. Right. Like this guy, this guy was was phenomenal. And right now, I mean, you you can find it on YouTube. It's just called "It's the Principal Pod." It's JV Mathers, and we're working on getting it onto iTunes and Spotify and, and all that other stuff, which is more, more my department. So I got to do a little bit of a, a better job of, of, of getting that, getting that going. But, you know, like we just had Wyndham Clark on last night, his younger brother and I worked together. I mean, Wyndham, Wyndham was awesome. Cause you're talking to a guy, I mean, Won a Big 12 championship at Oklahoma State. He won everything under the moon growing up. Um, battled Maverick McNeely wire to wire in the Pac-12 championships in Colorado when he, when he transferred to Oregon. And, you know, so so we're constantly, like, looking at, at just getting that deeper and growing it. But, we, I mean, we started basically out of fun because I'm like, and no one really talks. And, and he and I are both in commercial real estate. So, Nobody talks about golf, football, baseball, commercial real estate. What are the markets doing? Like we touch on a little bit of everything and it's non-politically correct, which I think is what a lot is. I think it's what a lot of the world needs right now, you know, and it's, it's just say the first thing that comes to mind and, you know, who's your favorite man crush and go. And mine, would, mine, mine right now would be Violent J. Armour. I well, think Violent J. Armour is my biggest man crush right now. I think Blois is a close second. No one can get mad at you for too long, even if it just, you know, zings out of your mouth and it's out in left field. You know what I mean? It's going to work for you. So I hope people give it a listen. Um, yeah, my wife finally met J.B. Mathers when we were out in L.A., and she is like, that dude is the most fun ever to hang out with for a night. Like, we had a blast. Like, he just, 
<laughs> we had a group of friends that um, were out that night, and we JB hit us up that you guys are in L.A. I'm like, yeah, and he's like, what's going on? I'm like, come out and meet us out for dinner. By the end of the night, everyone was like friends with JB and loved hanging. Like people are yeah. giving hugs. Wives are giving hugs to him. Like he's that kind of guy. Like you cannot help but having a blast. You, you have – you're like – you smile. When I think of like if somebody says JB Mathers, I smile. I, I love the guy. He's the best. So, Dude, so, so, I, so I remember, um, I mean, we, we got a few more minutes here, but I, I got a question for you. So when we got done with the dismal trip and we were doing the, we were doing the recap and I just said, you know, like my favorite guy that I didn't know was Scott Niedergang because he just has a good time. He's a solid dude. He went out on his own with pre-cap. I mean, Scott Niedergang is just, I, I love Scott's dad. And and I just I asked you I said hey who was your favorite guy they didn't know and you just said JB because he had the best time out of anybody just being on a dude's golf trip and when I asked you I said hey can I bring a guest and you said yes my first thought went to JB because I'm like this guy will fit in with anybody well and it's his fun is contagious and that's the best part like those are the best people in the world right like you just smile with them like you cannot help but smile with with jb so you guys are going to do good with this podcast because i know your guys personality it's going to work well together and you guys are smart and there's going to be some fun but intelligent conversation going back and forth there'll be some laughs so i'm like i'm rooting for you guys like i think i'm going to listen to the uh I haven't listened to the Eric Hansen one yet, but then maybe I'll put that on. I need to put a podcast on to kind of fall asleep. It's like my transition into <laughs> La La Land. So, like, it's just calm. It's nice. I like listening to the podcast and boom, I fall asleep. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Eric, throw that Eric one on Hansen's tonight. A good one to, yeah, Eric Hansen's a good one to fall asleep too. Not, not nothing against it. I mean, he thinks he totally botched it. He didn't. But Eric is so ADD. I mean, he says he's every different type of D. Right, ADD, OCD, ADHD, you know, all that stuff, and he's so meticulous with everything that he does. So he's telling some Bo Jackson story, and he still remembers the guy that was warming up in the bullpen in right field as a 26-year-old vet in double-A baseball in Chattanooga. You know, I mean, like, like that is how in-depth Eric is. And, he, and we're going to have him back on because he still has, some more Griffey stories, Bo Jackson stories, Edgar Martinez stories. I mean, Randy Johnson stories. I mean, that guy is an absolute God, Edgar Martinez, man, could that guy just bat a ball or what? God, it was so that I, guy. So I, God, he was good. So I'll, so I'll, I'll say this real, real quick teaser right, for then. those that are listening. So so Edgar Martinez told a story. So him and Eric are talking, and, 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 and Ryan French said this on Monday Q&A. And he goes, they were talking about eliminating the shift in baseball. And this guy for the Dodgers, screw the Dodgers. I hate the Dodgers. I hope they burn in hell. Fuck the Dodgers. But this guy goes, how am I supposed to hit triples and home runs when they put a shift on? I'm like, well, here's the thing. You hit home runs. Edgar Martinez said if they put a shift on him, he would bat 900. Oh, he would just no rack it to the spot where no one's at. He was that good, right? Exactly, I mean, exactly, just... exactly, exactly. So Eric, so Eric goes, "What about the the other hundred uh, batting average?" He goes, "Well, that's when I punch out." <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's the most honest 
arrogant. He would have, though. They couldn't answer. shift Edgar Martinez. There's no way. I mean, you could shift him a little There's bit, no but way. if you gave him that much of a field, he would just slap it to the opening and run to first base every time, literally every time. It, right, and, and you're a baseball guy. I mean, listen listen to that podcast. I mean, it, it, that that's just getting started. We have seven episodes with Eric uh, in, in, in terms of stories. I mean, the guy... The guy's an absolute specimen. I mean, he drinks like we got done playing today, and he was drinking a margarita because he was pairing it with his meal later, which he knew was going to be street tacos. I like. I this mean, guy. that this is, is how. Thinking. Oh, this dude, yeah, no, he's next a, level. He's a he's a thinker. My 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 last my well, my only question for you. Sub seventy has been awesome. The TA three irons I got absolutely dialed right now. I got the driver five in the back. I only have two ping clubs in my bag now yeah what is coming up big for you guys besides the 70 what are you guys working on for the fans for the viewers all my boys mm. out there what's going on with sub 70 well there's always something stuff you know we're, we're working on next generation of 699 iron with like the you know that's a tough one because like how do you that's a pretty damn good iron and how do we make that you know hollow body technology work a little bit better We'll start on the driver. Even though the new driver's out, you start on that one right away. Like, I have no idea where it's even going, but we're, we, you know, we'll work on that. That's a ways out, right? Like, you're always working on stuff. Like, anything, the newest thing that I think that's going to go over pretty darn well that's a really cool product, and I played it all last year, is the wedges we're working on with, with Tommy Armour Third. TA designed your, the irons you play. And I mm-hmm. think most all the guys on play our stuff on the PGA Tour occasionally or Corn Ferry is playing Tommy's irons. He designed a wedge with us, and it was painstaking. Like, it, we went through – he's tough, and it's good tough, right? Like, painstaking in a good way. Like, he demands that the thing is exactly the way he wants it. And we finally got the wedge where he gave the go-ahead of, you know, put my logo on it with your logo. It's good. It's really good, and it's like – all credit to Tommy. Like this was this one was his project kind of from the start. So I'm pretty excited about that thing. Like it's 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 really good. It's really really good. And it's very like um I'll, you, you don't have to be a tour player to play it. It's it's a pretty user-friendly soul, you know what I mean? Like it's not just niched for a player of like his level. So that's kind of like the next kind of like thing that's in production that's going to be coming in. You know, we have our 659 irons coming out pretty soon. That's a couple months away. Um, kind of a replacement of the 639, but it's kind of a continuation. Right? It's slight modifications, right? You're kind of staying in that lane. Was, We're always working on was something. That the, was that the prototype that you were, that you had in your bag out of this one? Yeah. Yeah, that, well, I had, yeah, I had some. Those looked so good. Yeah, that was. I played them all last summer. And, you know, we did a few more tweaks to it, but that's, you know, what happens in the like from what we do is the day you finish one, like a series, right? You start instantly working. You don't know which direction it's going to go. You start working on the next one because it takes a couple years to get it prototyped, tested, back feedback, more testing, get a bunch of information from your buddies who play the stuff, then CAD drawings, and I mean the testing, 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 feedback loop, new prototypes. So the moment you're done with something, you're literally starting again, which is like the coolest thing ever because it's fun as hell to do it. So, you know, some of the stuff you like our new driver, like I don't know, I don't know, I don't even know where we're going with it. 
we have some ideas. Like, and it's now this summer is just gonna be like all experimenting with it. Like, does can we prove anything? That one's tough because with the you know the. Box. So I got a question. So I so it's so a real quick question before we go. So I I, I basically stole the driver at gunpoint on um, violent J armor. Yeah. Down here, we we've got some content hitting it off the deck out there at DC Ranch with my boy Charlie James. Shout out to Charlie, amazing dude. Can't hit driver, but we'll we'll, we'll get him dialed. So I've, I mean, I've, I played this driver for about a month now. I like it. I love the carbon, the, the, you know, the, the the top. I mean, I, it just, it looks really good. What are you guys doing with the new driver? I can't, I can't give that away yet. Is it more forgiving and spin less? In theory, we're probably going to have even, it's so hard to design a driver for everybody. So we'll probably have more lanes with the next one. So it depends on what model it would be, right? So the mm-hmm. pro would still kind of be anti-left, low spin. The standard model would kind of fit everybody. And we'll probably do something like a really game improvement model, which would be like really high MOI, a little bit more spin, right? So for that golfer without the amount of speed to get it up. But you take sort of, you design the, the middle one first, and then you modify that to fit those other niches. So, I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to make it just, it's, it's, you're just trying to squeeze a little efficiencies out of it because you're in a box a little bit with the USGNRA RNA rules, right? Like you can't make it hotter. You're just trying to basically have it more niched for the certain kind of player that wants that niche. And then you try to make it, you know, essentially like the mishits are more like how you'd hit it in the center. That's kind of all you can do. Right? Does that make sense? Right? You, you just try to make the miss hits more like a center hit and then get the get the lane that that kind of golfer needs to be in. Until they change the rules or there's some new material that makes it completely revolutionary. There's nothing I see on the horizon at this point in time. It's you're just trying to dial it up just little bits, slight little increments to get a little bit more out of it. If that makes sense. No, but, that, yeah, no, no, that, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, the RNA and the USGA, I mean, they're, they're dinosaurs. You know, with, with, with you got to play in the do, sandbox, like, right? You got to play in the sandbox, and it's kind of like it's hard, but it's also fun because, like, how do you squeeze out like that much better performance out of something where you're kind of restricted, right? So it's challenging. Like it's it's fun, but it's challenging. We got we got some the team's got some pretty good ideas of like general directions, and we'll start prototyping on the golf. We got prototypes, but we'll start we'll start testing it pretty heavy this summer. But it might be two or three years away before we, you know, at least two years away before we do another driver would be my guess. We don't, we don't do yeah. product life cycles. Well, it's got to be better, right? We won't bring it out unless it's better. Well, let me know because we got a dismal river trip coming up in June. Um, I'm super excited. Anything that you need semi pro to, and the honorable to test out, you just bring it out. I, I, we'll, we'll put in a session. I'll bring it out there, and if I want to see somebody shoot seventy four, slightly hungover from the tips, I got my guy, Mikey D. You got you. You got your guy. I mean, I, I, I broke, I broke seventy five today. Uh, two of my last three rounds. I'm super excited about that. I just, I'm, I'm really excited. What's that? I'm a lot, so, lot of big things coming. What's the handicap at right now? Your home club, and no joking Plus, aside. Plus, plus 3.8. It's pretty solid. 
It's pretty it's- solid. Um, unfortunately, um, I lost the club championship uh, this last weekend to Braden Shipley. Guy birdied 17-18 to win by one. Um, guy played lights out. I mean, he's 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 a good player. Um, played played lights out um, down the stretch, and it was wire to wire for 36 holes. Um, but no, it, it, it's a steady, it's a steady 3.6. I feel like is what it's at right now. Right. And um, to give me eight aside, and we'll be fine. When you establish a handicap, I'm getting one we'll this year. Talk. I mean, I'm that, actually getting a handicap this year. I would, I'm actually going to play enough golf. I'm going to try to play I, more competitive golf this year. I'm getting a handicap. I put I put Boyce Olsen on it. He is on it. You're going to get established down there at Kishwaukee National Golf and Polo yes. Club. My, my my two goals are besides going to Dismal River, is play Kishwaukee National and Minneapolis Golf Club. The Honorable and I are going to stay with Boyce, and we're going to drink all of his wine. It, he's got a good wine collection. No, I'm actually going to – my wife is actually even encouraging me. She's like, you need to take Tuesday afternoons off. Go play with the guys at the club. Play the game that you like doing. You know, put the phone on silent and go have yourself a day. So I'm, I'm going have to your- – going to have a hand. The J.J. Colleen special. Exactly. The J.J. Colleen special, baby. Have yourself a day. Delete a few gold tops, have yourself a day. Well, I can't thank you enough. Always entertaining. Your insights are always good because you know all the guys and you played professionally. You have a, like, you got a good idea of like what the fan can think and then what the professional kind of thinks with it. So it's always a good conversation. Congratulations. I, 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 Thank you. Well, on the podcast and working with JB and all that good stuff. Thank you for not being terribly intoxicated for this podcast. Like, semi-lit, you're perfect. So you were, like, in the zone tonight, brother. Well, yeah, but, I mean, I was I was half a bottle of Oban 14 deep, um, which, I mean, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing. thing. I'm going to go good. Okay. Right. You know what? My, my, my dad, Papa Senior, I mean, he'll... He would be proud. The, the wife, like, just took the dog for a walk without me and, uh, I'm going to be divorced before I'm even married. But you know what? It, it, it's the principle, and it's all for the Sub-70 podcast. I appreciate it. Over and out. Thanks again, brother. Over and out.